that I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. I don't know about you, but for me and my childhood, thinking about what happened to Jonah, it was one of the most terrifying stories in all of the Bible. It has left a permanent mark on me to this day. Not because I can't swim, I can swim. I have an irrational feeling. about being in a large body of water where there are creatures swimming around that I cannot see. I've flown back and forth across the Atlantic, I don't know how many times, going to Italy to do the work there. The thought of getting on a ship and going over terrifies me. How is it that we think to cry out to God only when we're in distress? How is it that our most fervent prayers to God come in the darkness of the night? How is it that Jonah said to God, I was in the bowels of hell, crying out to you, and you heard me. You heard my voice. The life of Jesus and the ministry of the Christ when he came, he came with one purpose and from the day that he was baptized by John. And he went into the wilderness and he came back, inaugurated his ministry, began to call his disciples. He began preparing them from day one that he was headed to the cross. I came to do the will of Him who sent me. He set His face toward Jerusalem. I must needs go to Jerusalem and there suffer many things and be killed. Jesus fully understood from before the foundation of the world. He he fully understood who He was. He fully understood his mission and his task. How is it that we find him in the garden pleading and begging God in the darkness of the night to let the cup pass? How is it that we struggle We struggle sometimes not because we don't know the will of God. Jesus knew the will of God. How is it that we struggle with God's will in doing it? We struggle sometimes because quite honestly, ladies and gentlemen, there are things we just don't want to do. The Apostle Paul would say, the flesh wars against the Spirit. 
and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are contrary, the one against the other. There is a war going on within us. And there are times when absolutely our struggle with the will of God is that because of the lust and the desires and the appetites of the flesh, we don't want to do God's will. That is our struggle. And in the darkness of the night, we talk to God about what appears to be an insatiable lust and desire on our part that we have not yet conquered. But there are also things at times that we struggle with. Not because we don't want to do what's right, it's because we don't think that we can. I can't break that relationship, I just can't. Or or I can't stop that behavior. No way, you just don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone. I cannot control this. Sometimes our struggle in doing the will of God is that we've convinced ourselves that there are things that we can't do. It's not that I don't want to do them. I don't think I can do God's will in this. And sometimes the truth is I am just terrified to move forward and face the will of God in this situation, not unlike Esther. When Mordecai said to her, you must go before the king and plead on behalf of your people. And she said, how can I do such a thing? I could die for this. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, the reason that we're struggling with the will of God is because what appears to be God's will absolutely terrifies us. And so, and so we come to the garden. If you thought the lesson today was about Jonah, think again. It's about Jesus. We're in Mark's gospel in the 14th chapter. You have the parallel accounts on the board. We will concentrate on Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here. While I pray. Let me remind you of something. It's already late on Passover night. We finished with the upper room activities. Ah, you remember how the night started. Jesus girded himself with that towel, took the basin of water, washed their feet, had the conversation with them about serving one another. As they began to eat the Passover, he indicated that one of them would betray him. They were all amazed that he would say such a thing. At some point, he gave the sop to Judas. Judas went out. Judas had the bag. He was the treasurer. They didn't know when he left. They never put two and two together.
Later, Jesus begins to talk to them, and he is explaining to them, look, the time has come. I, I must go away. He, he was troubled. He was clearly troubled in their presence. And now Peter is troubled, and the other apostles are troubled. And Peter said, Lord, I, I want to come with you. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You will come later. At some point, he said to them, let's go to the garden. I need to pray. He needed to talk to his father. I don't know what time it was in the night at this point. I will tell you this. Sometimes, sometimes our deepest conversations with God take place in the darkness of the night. Sometimes our most fervent prayers are our midnight prayers. And sometimes the nakedness of our soul is most clearly revealed. When we are absolutely like Jonah, crying out to God in our distress. I'm in Mark chapter 14, in verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him. Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. I want you to note several things here. Number one, he is still in the presence of Peter, James, and John when the Holy Spirit is telling us his soul was greatly distressed. And trouble. Did you ever see, somewhere along the way as you were growing up, did you ever see those artist portraits of Jesus praying in the garden? I can see it plain as day in my mind's eye right now. There's a big rock, and Jesus is kneeling before the rock. He's facing sort of east-southeast as... North would be at the top of the page. He has on a white robe. His hair is neatly flowing down upon his shoulders to his back. His hands are folded. He has a serene look on his face. His eyes are cast up to heaven. And there is, in that moment, the spotlight, you know, that comes down on his face. What a beautiful, sweet portrait. Get rid of that idea. That is not at all what the text says. 
The Lord is already at the end of the Passover supper. He has already had his time of grief and sorrow at the supper. Now they're in the garden. The text says not that he is, well, he's a little upset. He is not a little upset. His soul is greatly distressed. And he is troubled. In the presence of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, that inner circle of intimates. And he said to them, I am dying with grief. Have you ever been so sad that you absolutely thought you were going to die? He said to the disciples, I am dying with grief. I'm sorrowful unto death. Stay here and watch. I'm going to talk to my father. And going a little farther, we don't see him straightening his robe and fixing his hair and folding. The text says he collapsed onto the ground. Do you see that in your text? In verse 35, and going a little farther, he fell on the ground. He did not gently posture himself. He collapsed onto the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And this is what he said to his father. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. I'll tell you what he said the first thing out of his mouth. He said to his father, I know you can do this if you want to. I know all things are possible for you. If it is your will, you can do this. Let this cup pass from me. Remove this cup from me. Ladies and gentlemen, from the day that Jesus began his ministry three and a half years earlier, he was telling his disciples every day, I'm going to the cross. The time has come. He's going. He's going within hours now. Within hours, he's going to the cross. And what does he do? The the text says he is greatly distressed. He is grieving to the point of death. And he is saying, please, God, you can do anything. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Take away this cup. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will.
tell you something, folks. If you think it's a sin to have a broken heart, you need to spend some more time in Gethsemane. If you think that it means you don't believe in God, if your soul is sorrowful to death, you need to go back to Gethsemane. If you think that God doesn't understand midnight prayers, you need to go back to Gethsemane. In the Hebrew faith, the idea of the cup, Jesus said, let this cup be removed from... The cup is, in the Old Testament, the cup of the wrath of God. The cup of God's wrath that is about to be poured out against sin. And Revelation referred to as the bowls of wrath. The absolute fury and anger of God that is about to be poured out against sin. The sin that our Lord is about to take upon Himself. He was distressed. And he came, and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? You think he just said one time, please, Father, Deliver me from this. Okay, I pray. One hour he prayed. The first time. Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. He hadn't changed his mind. The problem had not changed. The situation was the same. The cross was imminent. And again he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus comes back the third time and he says, Okay, guys, wake up. Let's go. The betrayer has come. What? He has been hours in prayer, begging God, take it away. Don't make me, don't, don't let this happen. then something changed. Get up. Let's go. It's time. The betrayer has come. I don't know how many hours Jesus was face in the dirt pleading with his father. But I know this. 
he begged God not to do it. Right up to the time that Judas and the soldiers entered the garden. And then Jesus knew his father had answered. Get up. Let's go. It's time. The resolve, the determination, more than everything else, thy will be done. Somebody says, well, does prayer really change anything? Let me tell you, something changed here. Because for the first several hours, he was begging God. After he prayed three times, God's answer was walking into the garden. Prayer did not change the reality of the cross. And prayer did not change the destiny of the Christ. And prayer did not change the level of suffering that he was about to endure. But wow, what a change in the strength and the resolve of the humanity of the Christ when he saw Judas coming into the garden. Three things we see here. We see the incredible love of God for us. Can you imagine your only begotten son begging you And for our sake. God let him go to the cross. We see God's incredible love. Secondly, we see his incredible wrath against sin. The thing that Jesus most feared. It's not hanging on the cross, the physical. It was the wrath of God that was about to be poured out. The cup of wrath that was coming. God hates sin. And thirdly, we see, the prayer was, if it be possible, Lord, if there's any other way, there's no other way. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. So how do we pray when we're struggling? Put on your seatbelts. We have six points to make very quickly. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are offering to God your midnight prayers, remember the principles of Gethsemane. How do you pray when you're struggling with the will of God? Don't try to tackle it alone. Discipleship is not a solo sport. There's a reason he took his apostles into the garden. There's a reason that Peter, James, and John were close to him in this moment of his distress. 
Quit pretending that you're some kind of superman spiritually. You are not, I am not, no one is. We have one another for a reason to bear each other's burdens and in so doing fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what it's all about. Secondly, when we're struggling with the will of God, we need to pray about it, not stew on it. Prayer is an action. It's not an attitude. Well, I'll be thinking about you. Thinking about, pray for them. It's not about thinking about something, stewing about it. You remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in the fourth chapter of Philippians in verse 6? He said, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. I'll tell you... uh, After years of study, lots of language research, you know what I think the word anything means? Anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you're struggling with the will of God, ladies and gentlemen, get on your knees and pray about it. Thirdly, when you're struggling, be honest and clear in your prayer. God knows your heart. You don't have to put on for him. You don't have to pretend. Are are you distressed? Are you sorely troubled? Are you terrified at what is in front of you, what you are facing? Tell him so. He knows. Tell him so. Be persistent. Our prayers to God, our conversation with God is not a one and done. It's not the way Jesus prayed. It's not the way we ought to pray. We need to call others and let them pray with us and for us. We need to be continually in prayer. We need to be like the widow in the the parable of the Lord, persistent in our prayer. We need to be like the Apostle Paul, who three times went to God with his thorn in the flesh. We need to be persistent, and we need to be obedient to God in all of this. Well, he says, I just don't have the strength to obey the will of the Lord. Get on your knees and pray for strength. God will help you. He promised He would. And there is no temptation or trial or challenge that has taken you but such as to come unto man. And God will not challenge you above what you are able to bear. And you say, I just can't bear it. Don't call God a liar. You can say you don't want to. You can say you can't see how it's possible. But don't say you can't. God said, I'm going to be there with you every step of the way. Place your trust in God. 
When you're struggling with the will of God, place your trust in God. God is the one who said, I will never, never fail you, nor forsake you. That is why, the writer of Hebrews says, that is why we can say without any doubt or fear, the Lord is my helper. And I am not afraid of anything that mere man can do to me. How do you pray? Your midnight prayers when you're struggling with the will of God. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Somebody said, I just don't understand how I could ever have peace. What, what did the Holy Spirit say? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Just explain to me how God, what what did he say? Surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. We're about to sing this song as a song of invitation. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up, if you will, please. This is a beautiful hymn. It is a hymn that has everything to do with faith in God. Faith in God when we are in Gethsemane with our midnight prayer. Faith in God when we don't understand. Faith in God when our heart is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Faith in God that is absolutely essential to sustain us through the midnight hours of this life under the sun. There are things as we travel this earth's shifting sands that transcend all the reason of man. We're not going to explain it. But the things that matter the most in this world, they can never be held in our hands. I believe in the hill called Mount Calvary. I'll believe whatever the cost. And when time is surrendered, this earth is no more. I'll cling, still cling, to that old rugged cross. I believe that this life 
with its great mysteries, surely someday will come to an end. But faith will conquer the darkness and death and will lead me at last to my friend. I believe. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm asking you this morning, do you believe? And if you do, with a penitent heart, why don't you come this morning to be united with your Lord in baptism? And if you're a child of God who needs to come, who needs the prayers of these people, won't you come while we stand and sing?